The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. He's one of Australia's leading brand experts with a quick wit, and she's a successful business owner with a pop culture addiction. Together, they're the Spin Life. Whether you're a digital marketing novice, an aspiring influencer, or starting your own business, they're here to answer your questions. Welcome to The Spin Life. I'm Courtney and here with me is Sam and we are the brother and sister team behind one of Australia's leading brand agencies, Spin & Co. And today we have another exciting guest. So today what we're going to talk about is, um, you know, finding a gap in the market and also yep. offering a premium service. So that's sort of like high-end standard vibe of a business and today's guest is one of the most recognizable names in the hair extension game and has salons in sydney melbourne brisbane and the gold coast welcome emily hadrill thank you nice to be here so How exciting. exciting i've known you for <laughs> some time now yeah. um and the business you've built i think is one that i think unless you're in that not in that space but i think unless you're a female looking for hair extensions you may not even know about the business mm-hmm. but I mean, realistically, there's nobody better known, nobody delivering a service quite like yours. Um, And I think that you've carved out this brand that I guess no one would have seen coming to an extent, right? Mm. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I think that I kind of got a little bit lucky of when I started because there wasn't really a a lot of... I feel um, like that's such a normal thing. Everyone always, especially when we have guests on this, people always say, like, I got lucky. <laughs> it's like what everyone says, and it's like, well, you worked hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What came after that was hard work, yeah. definitely. Um, but lucky in the... Well, yeah. Lucky in the way that um, at the time there wasn't really any salon specialising in hair extensions and that was yep. just on the verge of becoming, I guess, a big thing. Whereas yep. now there's a lot of salons doing that. Whereas we got in sort of at that time where we could become known for that service and so, also like a good hair extension right like cause mm. i've seen plenty of girls getting around i think like oh that's weird why have you got tape on your head oh because oh, you've taped in your you've extensions. only got to watch maths right <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i saw so hanging out everywhere hanging out. and i'm like yeah wow oh, i need to get all these girls in <laughs> <laughs> in. Salons. Like, and so i feel like that's it seems like a service. I'm not your target demo by any stretch, but it <laughs> seems to me like if I was going to get it done, you'd want to go to the best, right? Like I'm not ordering yeah. them online and just sitting in the mirror, right? Could you do them yourself? I think you, or you could. You could if you were just wanting to ruin your Looks hair. Like and yeah, you, you can't really, but there's plenty of people that I'm sure would give it a go yeah. or get their friend to put it in. And I'm, I think it just depends on the on the person and what kind of budget they're working with. Is, um, obviously, the ones that we see on when we do notice them, they're the, the cheaper option. Yeah. Um, and also, of course, placement is everything. So if you're going somewhere that doesn't really know what they're doing, that's why you're seeing them. <laughs> um, but if people ha- you know, don't have the money to spend to go somewhere that has a better quality product, then that's what they're doing. So, so you started in 2007. So to take mm. us back to the beginning, tell us a bit about yourself and how you sort of got started. Yeah, so um, I was 20 years old then and basically working out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to have a business. I've always sort of had small, you know, teenage type businesses and just loved that. And my family comes from having their own businesses. Um, so I was looking into beauty therapy um, and I'm just, yeah, that sort of girly nature. And I basically got hair extensions myself and absolutely loved what they did for my hair. And I wanted to sort of um, offer that. So I started with friends and family, of course, and then that grew pretty quickly, actually, um, to the point where I t- took on a small space in Mermaid Beach on the Gold Coast. Um, and after 
a short time there, we outgrew that space and took a larger um, salon in Broadbeach and then diversified from just doing hair extensions to offering all hairdressing services. Um, and then from there, um, we had a lot of clients coming down from Brisbane. So we decided, or I decided that um, it would make sense to open a salon in Brisbane. Um, same thing again, I opened small to start with just to make sure that it was going to work yep. without putting a huge financial commitment down. Um, two years after that, I was able to open the salon that we're in now in Fortitude Valley, which is much larger. And I basically sort of did that same concept in the other states because we were having people fly out from Melbourne um, and then eventually fly out from Sydney or even from Perth all over the place. Um, so I just tested the market in each space first with small salons and then eventually yep. opened bigger ones. So, yeah, now we've got the four and, yeah. Isn't that interesting though? Like I think there's, you know, we see now and it'll be good to get your take on this as well. So many businesses, and so I get asked a lot about it at the moment, but – so many businesses are going bankrupt, you know, mm -hmm. admin, receivership, whatever. They're all going broke. Um, and I think some of them are not in your space per se, but mm -hmm. they are a frontline customer-driven retail fronted business, you know. They're paying – you're paying very expensive, you know, rents yep. and things like that, staff wages and things like that. Mm. Um, but I think that from my perspective when I'm asked about it, so many people have a run of success and then all of a sudden just go, oh, we're killing it. Mm. get the biggest space, the shiniest we will afford mm. it, and you just sort of keep going from there. And, yeah, it's interesting to hear you say, like, even though you moved to different markets, you were then saying, let's test it first, let's make sure, yeah. and then make a decision as to whether or not we grow. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, you probably can't get sort of ego in the way and just think, yeah. I've got to make it look like I'm this, this, and this. It's, yep. um, you know, the financials are so important. And yeah. uh, I think there's always so many things that creep into um, – our costs that we don't sort of think of that yep. affects the margin. So you just have to be so careful yeah. when you're scaling to not sort of blow it out and then get get yourself in trouble. Especially with a business like yours, like how many staff do you have across sort of the um, I think we're nearing about 40, just, yeah, wow. just over 40 staff now. Crazy. Support, and yeah. that's, um, that's a big uh, payroll. <laughs> it's huge, yeah, yeah. And that makes up sort of 40% of our turnover. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so – it's yeah, huge. it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the that's the big thing. It's funny, actually, this morning, um, I'm not sure when this episode is going live, but this morning, um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has come out and sort of begged business out there. And he's obviously speaking to the larger, large companies, but mm. don't lay staff off. They're trying yeah. to, you know, convince everyone with this coronavirus situation mm. to keep staff and stay loyal to staff because any sort of downturn that we may see um, isn't going to be long felt and what it's, yeah. it's going to be short term and whatnot. So sort of stay committed. But I think it's funny when I think, you know, when you look at say the George Calambara scandal, for example, mm. so many people, I'm not sure your opinion on it because we haven't discussed it, but you know, I've spoken on this podcast before about it. My feelings around it is that everyone was so willing like this on this takedown of George Calambara. And it's like what you took down was 400 plus staff, mm -hmm. you know, Huge. and well-qualified staff. Mm. There's not a lot of jobs going for, very qualified chefs at the types of restaurants he had yeah. and wait staff and things like that. And it's, you know, we've, all we've done now is punished 400 plus people because yeah. George is fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, mentally absolutely. speaking, maybe not, but financially mm. speaking, he's fine. And I don't think a lot of people know how hard it is when you're talking business, what it is like, like payroll is, you know, the bane of all of our existence to an extent because it's, it's the most important thing in so many ways because yeah. people rely on you. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You and know? if you're in that service business, it's obviously the majority of your cost is the payroll. Yeah. Maybe if you're in a service business, not so much. I mean, sorry, if you're in a um, product, product yeah, yeah, maybe not so much. But, um, yeah, it's absolutely huge. It's incredible, isn't it? So you've sort of uh, – I'll be interested to get your take now on the smaller versus the bigger. But your salons, if people aren't familiar with them, are very high-end is what I would call them in terms of um, visuals. Mm-hmm. The aesthetic is very premium. Um, they all look stunning. Um, and that aesthetic is clear across you know all the ones that I've seen. Um, and so – how do you go when you talked about having a smaller site? Did mm-hmm. you compromise that aesthetic when you start there and then you know you sort of invest to make sure it meets it when it gets bigger or is the aesthetic the same? It's just physical size? Yeah, it was the same, probably just physical size. I think it was just more sort of boutique feel, uh, but everything was still that same, um, that same styling. Uh, but obviously as the business grows and you've got a bit more capital to be able to invest in it, then you can sort of – Spend a bit more, obviously, Absolutely. on making things a bit nicer and everything. But for but, you, the brand is premium, and so it didn't sort of yeah. matter the size. It had to meet yeah. the same standard regardless of whether you're walking in X or Y. Mm, yeah, it's always been there. And the choice of location was always that premium. We were always yeah. sort of South Yarra, Melbourne, mm-hmm. Fortitude Valley, Brisbane, like keeping in those areas, whether it's small or large, it was just the difference in the amount of chairs. Are you size. just off James Street in Brisbane? Mm, yeah. That's, 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 that's the color. I know, yeah. And yep. that's probably made a big difference for you because you would have had mm. to go through that whole period where the car wire was just a mess and a construction oh, yeah. zone. Yeah, yeah. That would have Coming hurt. into our, all our shampoo and retail on the floor because of the yeah. jackhammering. Oh, God. <laughs> Smash front window, <gasps> all those things. Not like just from the jackhammering, the effect on the ground, yeah. Wow, that's wild. So we sort of thought, okay, this is – not great now, but in the long term, obviously, we're going to have some great um, well, clientele right there. Well, thank God they turned there. around a, a premium offering. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that hotel now is like booming. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just yep. from Instagram, as I think, for the photos. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Such a vibe. All for the content. Um, and so how did you – did you always know that it would be a premium feel? How did you sort of arrive at that as, as the brand, if you will? Um, I think it just kind of came naturally to me. I mm-hmm. – Sometimes it's unfortunate that I have very expensive, <laughs> expensive taste. Hi, taste. welcome to my problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why do I keep turning up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. Um, so I think yeah, it just sort of came naturally that that was the the aesthetic that I liked, and um, and I also stems into offering a very high quality product. I don't believe in having. I don't think it's sustainable to have a business that's not offering a high quality product. So the two obviously go hand in hand if you're offering yep. that. How is that, I guess, managed on a day-to-day basis? When you look at, um, you know, your social media accounts and mm-hmm. uh, I'm presuming what plays into that is everything, the way customers are greeted, the mm-hmm. way they're seated, the, you know, the offering of, I, I don't know, the drink they're offered yep. when they sit down, all those things. Mm. Who monitors that? Is that you personally? Is that someone else's role? It's it's become very difficult with multi-location, obviously, and remote imagine. location. Uh, for a, a while, it was, it was all falling on me until a point where I was able to have a um, general national manager that would help me out by doing some of those trips for me. Yep. Uh, the biggest thing is probably, obviously, processes and having the right management in each store and then having mystery shoppers. So that we can really get that sort of client view and get some feedback on when we're not there. Because, of course, it's very easy for when myself or a national manager walks in to make sure everything's 
our of feet, course, but what yeah. happens when we're not there? Yeah. Uh, so mystery shoppers has been a really big thing just to make sure we look, can look at that report and just find any little missing That's gaps. That's cool. We've never talked about mystery shopping before. Let's go in mm. a bit harder, I think. You love a mystery shop, oh, <laughs> I'm huge on a mystery shop. We've done it with clients before um, at our own cost even just yeah. to understand, even though it's well outside the gamut of our um, remit really or our mm. scope, um, I just think it's important to understand what a customer experience looks like. Absolutely. We've sometimes used it um, in the past to demonstrate to some of our clients that the breakdown in the product is actually nothing to do with their marketing and whatnot. It's actually falling down here. Mm. So we've done that audit before with with clients who we sort of look at and they go like, oh, we need more people in the door. And it's like, cool, we'll handle the new people in the door. But yeah, what about but the people that are already in the door exactly. and how you're treating them, especially yep. for a repeat business? Yep. You know, for your your audience, I imagine once you get a customer, they stay a customer for life. Yep. Um, and maintaining that customer is, you know, everyone should know keeping a customer yeah. is a lot cheaper than finding a That's, new one. Yep. Exactly. Um, and so that's super important. But how did you uh, – What? when did you start mystery shopping what, you know, in the um, business? We started probably when – it was probably about three years ago when we were at that point of the remote locations when we got to having sort of Melbourne and Sydney and yep. it really became important to make sure that we're keeping a finger on the pulse and it wasn't by – it wasn't for getting bad reviews or anything like no. that. It was just simply to make Proactive. sure that because I'm not – like when I was working in the salon, of course, that was my control then. Mm. But – at some point I went to working on the business rather than in the business and wasn't in the stores really much at all. So yep. then it was like, okay, let's maintain this because I believe that that's sort of where we've had success is actually looking after the client really, really well. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. And so did you, did it start off sort of you sent friends in that you knew or did you go to an agency? How did you do that? Yeah, we were part of the AHC, the Australian Hairdressing Council, yep. and you pay them as a service to be able to oh, okay. uh, organise it all for you and then they have the report and then send the report to you. So it's quite thorough. Oh, wow. Um, but it takes the time out of uh, having to organise it yourself. <laughs> yeah, because it can be, um, it, it can be uh, a process, but I guess if mm. you've got someone that's sort of regularly doing it they've got the things to spot and yep. sort of to talk about yeah what about um you know is it uh, i think obviously through the council it's going to be different to the maybe you know some of the business owners who are listening to this but is it an expensive process no no not too much no. at all i mean okay. i guess you are you're talking about a cost i think i think they charge us a thousand for three mystery shops something like that for their service for organizing it and mm. then obviously you're just losing the fact that you've got to give a free service away yep. your wages on um, the product uh, but that's really all it costs. So in the grand scheme of things, well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Have you ever had a scenario where it's come back and and shown glaring, you know, problems? No, but it's always it's always brought something small that you can go. All right, let's we've let's got to make that. sure that's you know fixed up. It's luckily for us we've never had a really bad one because yep. we still have a lot of control over what's happening in the stores and and yeah, we course. hire based on. You know, the people that we know will give a good service yep. um, and they don't, they're don't they not kept if they don't. Um, but, of course, it still has brought to light small things along the way, which is, makes it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm. it's, a, it's a hard one, you know, I think to an extent with your business, it's not really – I wouldn't imagine you have a lot of walk-in traffic. No, definitely like a destination. Yeah, business. it's a lot of people are sort of – I would imagine do some research and decide I want to go ahead with this, I want to yep. be the, with the best, that's why they end up with you, mm. um, as opposed to – you know, and not that they're really comparable, but if you look at say, sort of like an Oscar Oscar or someone yep. like that who's also premium but uh, is in shopping centres, yep. they get a lot of walk-up people being like, I just want to cut, you know yep. what I mean, or whatever. And then I think that probably the service there, at you're going to get different feedback from an average walker in or, you know, I mean, I go to Oscar Oscar personally, mm. but when you sit there, 
and you hear like, and they're very clear at Oscar Oscar when you walk in, I'm not sure about your process, but when you walk in, they have someone come over and say to you, what do you want to do? They walk away, get the quote, come back and physically yep. hand you, here's the price. Yep. Because they obviously get, and I've sat there when it's happened, people who were like, I'm not paying that for that. Mm. It's just a cut. Yeah. You think like, wow, is that really, like, what have you done here? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm one of those people where it's like, I feel like I'm quite aware. I mean, I, I have the money, but I'm quite aware I think if you're walking into Stefan's or you're walking into Oscar Oscar, I think it's clear that you're receiving What's, a different service yeah. and as a result, different price. Yeah. So it shocks me when people sort of go like, I'm not paying if that. And it, yeah. like, then just go to Just Cuts. What are you yeah. doing here? I think that's yeah. why now places like Oscar Oscar, when you sit down, they quote you first. And so like we were just say, saying, yeah. yeah like, what is the, and it's like. And uh, then hands it to you. Yeah. And mm. I've, I remember I went to me and my friend, Oh, Lang, who's been on this podcast before, she, me and her were both getting our hairdressing hair done. We decided on a whim and I got into Oscar Oscar and she had to go to another one downstairs in the shopping centre. And um, her, we got basically a very similar kind of thing done and hers was double the price. Like it oh, was right. astronomical amount of money that she had to spend on getting her hair cut and coloured. And it was like she was not prepared for that at all because they didn't quote her. And so she like mm. felt wow. sick after. It was like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Whereas Wild. like mine was like still a reasonable price. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, no, I know what I'm getting into because they try to add on all these things. Like, oh, we're just going to put a little treatment on, and then at the end of it, you just don't even bloody know what you've but got. Well, that's yeah. interesting for me for someone in the industry. How much? Because I remember they used to say to me at Stefan, I used to go to Stefan many, many years ago. Mm. But how important to you is the the add-ons to the business in terms of a like a, a you know a, a revenue driver, sure if you revenue. will? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, it is definitely beneficial to have those yep. add-ons once you've got the client obviously in the in the salon. Yep. Um, and it's just about finding things that actually do help the client, yeah. of course. Um, and if we can offer extra services that are going to help the client, that's, you know. Yeah. But a lot of – it's the hard – the barrier for stylists is that they – have a uh, limiting belief of what a client is willing to spend. So they won't offer things that might actually be great for a client and they yes. want these things but aren't they're not the professional so they don't know what a treatment's going to do to their hair but the stylist just thinks, oh, well, I wouldn't spend that so I'm not going to offer it to the yeah. client, um, which is one of our sort of issues to get over with with um, staff members. Um, but, yeah, just going back to the quoting thing, I think that's the, the biggest thing for us is just – be able to give that price at the start with those options for people and they can choose to omit it or keep it, yep. then they're comfortable. They can actually enjoy that two or three hours, yeah. whatever it is, knowing they're not sort of thinking in their head, oh, my God, what am I going to be up for at me? the end of this? Yeah. It's, it's very clear right from the start and they're comfortable and able to actually enjoy the experience. And then there's also the the product sell as well. Like, you know, like, oh, we use this hairspray. And mm. like, there's all so that if you know what you're up, stuff, like, up yeah. for at the start, then you can go, okay, well, I'm already spending this. Can I yeah. add on? Whereas otherwise you're thinking, oh, I don't even know how much the service is going to be yet. Because yeah. I would think That's with it. a service like yours, there'd be a lot more general upkeep to your hair than there would be to someone with their natural hair. Yes. So you do need to really invest in those add-ons yeah. to Absolutely. make sure you get the longevity Especially out of your hair. if you've invested in yeah, the extensions that are not cheap. Yeah, you're talking like probably average $800 spent yeah. on getting hair extensions. So if you then need to spend another 60 or $80 on the correct shampoos, Sh conditioners, yeah. treatments, whatever. That's essential. It feels like, you know, why wouldn't you? But Pillowcases, do you sell the pillowcases? Is that a big thing? We do have them, no? the silk pillowcases. <laughs> I love silk <laughs> You have to have like the silk pillowcases for extensions. <laughs> How funny. I know that for me when I go to Oscar, for example, they um, they are required now, um, and it's very clear, to put several products in front of you on mm. the table that you then have to look at basically, and then they explain to you, you know, why they're using whatever else. Mm. I personally hate it. Mm. 
Um, I think it's I think it's very different, right? For a business like yours, where it's you've invested a lot of money here, mm. and this is going to last longer if you do X and Y. That's why you're paying this money. Yeah. You, I get that, right? You know what I mean? But I can't stand it when they're like just trying to push well, different if it products. Feels on like you. you know they're just going through a process of well, it is. What you know, management have told them to do as opposed to like. This and for is me, because my you. hair is like basically I have new hair every six, you know what I mean? Like yep. it grows to a point where it's new hair. Yeah. So for me, they know at Oscar Oscar what products I've used my whole life, right? Some of them I get from there, most of them I don't. But they then, because they know of my routine, they don't put those products in front of me. Yeah. They put new ones. And it's like, you're just doing that. Like I don't need all of these things. And I think that for a business like theirs, you wouldn't have a great deal of loyalty in the Oscar Oscar business, I don't believe. Mm. I would say that a lot of the business is made up from walk-ins. Yeah. Um, and as a result, you should be respecting the fact that people like me continue to come back to you. So don't try and make another $50 you know, for this product mm. that I'm probably going to use it and be like, what difference did that Your make? Your hairdresser probably hates doing that as well, but she has to because she has KPIs. Hates doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like when I go into a shop and people say, can we get your email address? I now ask them every single time, are you KPI'd on it? And if you are, I'll give you my email address that I use for this garbage. <laughs> but if you're not, I won't give it to you. Yeah. Because I just think, I feel bad for the staff member because I know yeah, at the end of the month absolutely. they're going to get a thing. Mm. But I have no interest in receiving an email from you about X, Y, and Z. It just pisses me off. Yeah. I just don't need it. So I always ask now. And they always don't know how to answer because I'm not sure. I mean, no one would have said to them, you're not allowed to disclose if you're KPI'd to customers. But they're sort of like, it doesn't feel like something right. I should be telling yeah, people. Yeah, I'm allowed to be saying. <laughs> but yeah. I always ask those at that moment and I'm like, I don't, I'm not a mystery shopper. I'm just saying I, I will give it to you if it's a part of a KPI, yeah. but I won't give it to you if it's not. I think one of their KPIs is that people must buy a minimum of three products or something. They have a minimum yeah. product oh, spend right. in theirs. And if they can't be in the store for more than 30 seconds without getting a hello. You have yeah. to sign them up to the members thing. You have to sell them a certain amount of products you must upsell is like a whole bloody big thing i think it's yeah i mean i can understand because i'm coming from yeah a business that runs on like an eight percent margin like i can understand process to be in place that will actually make the difference of your business surviving or not but it just depends on what it is and whether you're actually helping the client or if it's just yeah pointless so 100%. how did you decide mm. what those little details were you said it came naturally but i guess when you mm. looked at your business and thought like we're charging X amount, mm -hmm. it's a premium price. What are the other little things we can give that doesn't cost the business a lot, but makes the mm. experience more premium? How did you assess what those things were? Um, I guess it started from me offering the service for the clients myself, because I'd always be looking at what is the client, what could make the client actually have a nicer time right now. Um, whereas I don't think, like even it's a struggle now with staff to get them to think about even little things like how cold or how warm is the room they're in right now? Yeah. Um, what are like what are they sort of experiencing? And I always thought about that stuff, and I always was like, oh, I could do this and make it nicer for them. So you think it really does come down to the little details yeah. to make something more premium? Yeah, I think overall, and I think from um, being able to experience other brands' uh, offerings, um, I try to go to a different hair salon every time I travel, um, so that I can see what other places are doing. Um, and just pick up on, yeah. Look at the, the competitors It's a big risk doing. though, isn't it? Like you just go and you're like, don't cut it, don't colour it, just look <laughs> at it. I go for blow dries. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You I go for blow dries okay. so that it's just, and just because I don't wash hair. my own yeah. hair anyway, so I'm I have to go for blow dries. assessment. I can, um, I can wash my own hair, but I choose, prefer not to. So <laughs> when I'm travelling, it's a great excuse. I say to my husband, I have to go. R&D. It's my market research, exactly. And 
yeah, so I, that's another thing where I sort of try to go to premium places, obviously, to yep. compare um, and pick up one little things that might I might be able to bring back to the salons. Do you find that's been that's been helpful? No, well, actually, whenever I've gone to salons, even in London, Paris, things like that, I'm actually surprised by the that it's not an amazing experience. Yeah, and I just think, wow, these are the top salons. And but do you think though? No, I always find that. So I've had my hair cut once before in LA, and I got a mm. cut of this place. It's like the place to have your hair yeah. cut. Like. It makes a difference because I'm a guy, but I went anyway. Um, and it's like where Chloe Kardashian goes, and like blah, blah, blah. Everyone goes there. And the treatment was outrageously overpriced and all the rest of it. But mm. like you said, the service was average at best. Yeah. But I think that in a lot of those locations, Paris, London, New York, LA, places like that, they've got a wait list and whatever. It kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, Whereas on the Gold Coast in the Australian market, Melbourne, Sydney and mm-hmm. whatnot, there's not that many people. You know what I mean? If you lose one customer and they return, how how frequently would someone return to get their hair hair extension? Every roughly six weeks. Right. So if someone's returning that frequently Mm. to lose one person is very big for a a, a revenue, you know, for the whole year. And so it feels to me like with some of those bigger markets, it's almost a little bit easier if you've got a brand than in Australia. Mm. And and also I think in Australia a bit fickle too. They'll be willing to go, oh, it's $10 cheaper. I might try them next time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like that's the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Talk to yeah. about aftermarket service. So someone comes and sees you, you're saying it's every six weeks. Mm-hmm. They've visited the salon, they've left. How do you continue to sort of deliver the the standard of service after they've left? Is it, yep. do you stay in touch via email, via phone? Is it? Uh, we actually do it quite personalised at the moment, which may need to change as we grow because it's becoming very hard. Yeah, very hard. But we do have a uh, employee that um, works in the marketing field, and she will contact each and every client after the appointment uh, via text message for convenience for the client. We did start with phone calls, but you don't reach people, then you're playing phone tag, and it's people like phone calls these days anyway, don't they? (laughs) Likes a text, so it was just it's just a courtesy text. It's literally written. I mean, it's a bit copy paste in some sections of course, but then it's personalised to the client in the areas that it needs to be and just sort of finding out how their experience was, if they're happy, if there's any feedback. Um, we always offer a complimentary follow-up appointment if they would like to come back in for that. So that's offered. And yeah, it's great because, um, you know, nine times out of 10, obviously we're getting great feedback, but, you know, every now and again, there is some feedback that we can work on. So that sort of ties in with the mystery shopping to get some extra feedback. And yeah, of course, clients feel like, oh, they're actually following up with me. They do care about how I'm going with them. Yep. And obviously hair extensions are um, a different thing than just having your hair coloured. Yeah. Um, there might be things like they want to have some more length cut off it or move the extensions around a little bit. So there's yeah, a sort of responsibility to make sure that they're really happy with what they've it does yeah. seem to be a real trend with a lot of the people that we've spoken to on this podcast about like not being complacent and always having your finger on the pulse. Like you're going to other salons, you're doing mystery yeah. shopping, you're mm. doing the feedback thing, always making sure that you're not just like, oh, we've, we've figured it out, we'll just leave it as is, that you're always trying to like update and see how you can improve. And Yeah, and you're always, I mean, the hairdressing industry is very transient, unfortunately, so you're yes. always getting new staff. Um, so really you've got to have that constant control. Otherwise you'll end up with a whole team that are new and aren't aware of the processes that should be in place. And it's just, you know, it just falls down. It makes it really hard. Yeah. Um, I was at a speech, uh, an event yesterday for International Women's Day and, um, one of the uh, very high senior executives with this company that I was, um, there for, uh, was talking about their strategy and she's worked with a lot of major companies, Qantas, uh, Yahoo, Facebook, all these people. 
Um, and she finds it interesting that between the companies, they all have a different idea of when they should have a revision of their company strategy right. at a, sort of a high level. Um, and everyone kind of has a different perspective on that. Qantas was like five years, their review, you know, very different. Do you have any, you know, you're still in, in a lot of ways a small business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of your senior leadership and management is kind of yourself and probably very few people around you, but ultimately it's, you know, it's your name on the door and it's, it's your brand. Do you have uh, dedicated periods where you stop and whatnot, or is it more, as you were saying, when you travel that you're just forever thinking about it? Yeah, I would say definitely it's just a constantly evolving. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't they all? I, I think, yeah, I couldn't say that we would wait until a certain point and then go, okay, what are we going to work on? Um, I work very closely with our with my general manager that helps me out now, um, and it's just I mean we're con- we're, t- we're talking like seven days a week just yep. <laughs> between sort of six a.m. and nine p.m. constantly just oh what about this and what about that yeah it's just you know as ideas come up or as feedback comes in there's ideas to be able to put things in place so it's just yeah. constant really especially if you've got a stream of constant feedback from customers yeah. you're talking about those text messages i mean that would allow you to be very nimble yes yeah but is there there's no sort of like annual emily hadrill summit where everyone comes <laughs> together and sort of we you know you readdress the year you know that you've just we, gone through and we basically um are implementing a manager conference this year so right. that all the managers will be flown to the gold coast and we'll do that yeah. um that's cool and each month we do um, management meetings on um, conference calls. So there is that sort of monthly update of, you know, things that are getting worked on. And then, yeah, so um, putting in place now that management conf- conference will be also assisting in that regard. But before that, no. Do we need a spin summit, Sam? Is that what's... I just think it's an interesting um, – it was interesting to hear um, just Kristen. Just you and I at a conference. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting to have Kristen have this, that conversation yesterday about, you know, some of the businesses she's been involved in have been – you know, every 10 minutes they're saying like, we need to change. And then some of them are five years and some of them are, mm. and, and seeing different leadership styles. And she was sort of talking about in the context, I guess, of International Women's Day and the, you know, the powerful women around her and then the different leaders and how they approach women in their management team and whatnot. But um, I just thought it was interesting. And she sort of said that as part of her role, you know, now being very, very senior, uh, she wants to reassess their strategy to an extent at, at a real sit down sort of every six months which um, is kind of what she, she suggests. But mm. I just thought it was interesting to sort of get the picture on somebody else. I mean, in that circumstance, they're running a business with 8,000 plus employees. Yeah. It's a very different beast to be talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, even at that level, but also, you know, even at, even at our level, your business and ours, you kind of, you do find yourself seven days a week sort of reassessing everything, but you maybe don't put a marker in the ground and sort of forget about the small things and sort of look more top line and whatnot because mm-hmm. in our heads anyway, well, certainly in my head, you kind of think, yeah, but I did that last week. You know, I don't do that every hour. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You look at it's something constant. and go like, oh, that could be different. Oh, we could change that or, you know, yeah. whatever. But interesting to hear someone say regardless of size, I think every six months you should mm. sit down and just sort of reassess the direction of the business. But I also think that depends. So for the business that I'm referring to, that person was speaking about, uh, you know, it's a health and lifestyle company. Um versus, you know, I guess with our business, there's not as many small moving pieces. In your business, you know, one small decision, I imagine, can have far-ranging impact mm-hmm. on revenue, on staff turnover, on things like that. Mm. But interesting to get your idea, you know, 40-plus staff is a very big workforce. Mm. Um, how do you go about, especially in your space, because it is transient, how do you go about, I guess, maintaining that, 
um, I guess, passion for the brand that they're coming to work for every day? Like how do you engage your staff in that sort of realm? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that it really just stems from it. They've got to see it from each of their leaders. Yep. So the stylists, for example, have to feel it from their store manager, their salon manager, team leader, I guess. Yep. That management level has to feel it from the general manager. Um, and then the general manager has to fill it from me at the the ownership level. So it sort of stems through the the process, uh, through the the team of um, my original passion of what we're actually doing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, That's interesting because I think it's hard, you know, do you – do you have any sort of um, – it, it's probably hard because they're so transient, but do you have any sort of, um, uh, you know, does each salon have a staff drinks day or is there any yeah. tactical things like that that you're doing? Yeah, we do a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, we basically work with the each of the team um, store managers to be yeah. able to work out what, what works for their team, but it's constantly things out of the salon for them to be able to sort of have that social aspect as well and make it mm. a really nice culture. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. I think. And, um, you know, for me, I guess now we're seeing, and this is the first time we're going to discuss this, but with this coronavirus situation, mm-hmm. we're sort of seeing everywhere, it's kind of all, you can't really move now. Everywhere you move, everyone's talking about bloody coronavirus. Yeah. We've seen all the stock markets have taken a hit, US, Australia, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Um, you know, Countries are shutting down. <laughs> yeah, literally borders are closing. What are your, I mean, outside of your own business, um, just you as sort of a, a very successful business person, how are you seeing this economic sort of situation play out? Um, I think it is it is very unknown, isn't it? Like, very much. It's, it's hard to know. And obviously the stock market um, having such huge falls is going to have a massive effect on the economy. Um, yeah. And you know, I think China, from what I understand, most of the China manufacturing is sort of back up and running. Um, obviously, yeah. China would be thinking, like, would be wanting to get everything back and running. Yeah, well, and I running. just saw a report this morning. They're looking at um, uh, trade and manufacturing is at 90% capacity now. Mm. Shipments out of China have hit 92% this morning um, of where they were this time last year. Yeah, so in terms okay. of the Chinese it's market, apart pretty. from the Hubei province, which doesn't house a great deal of manufacturing, yep. especially when we speak about larger format stuff. Yeah. Um, so they're at 90% and 92% in terms of shipments going out this, this time last year. So yeah. I, I mean- it's not to, too much of an Well, exactly now, right. Yeah. I mean, they're saying now that they're going to probably hit 115% of capacity next month. Mm. Well, they Every single person. Like, well, I mean, of course they are. So I mean, every factory now is- Quickly, it's like the toilet yeah. paper industry. Quickly make more. Yeah. Um, everyone's racing to manufacture. The next problem is going to be logistically how to get it out. I was going to say, the backlog of yeah. um, of shipments. But it's funny for see. me to see what I think is so – the coronavirus to me is intangible, right? Like there'd be very few people who could you could sit with and who would actually be able to talk you through the economic impact of this mm. in a real sense to an end consumer. I don't think there is a great deal of impact, right? We came off the back of a couple of weeks delay in China. Mm. Sure, some things are behind. Everyone's back on track now. We've just heard that. But the average consumer seems to be having an absolute freak out over a very intangible scenario. You know, when the global financial crisis happened in 08, I think it was, you know, there were home ownership issues, mortgage default issues. You could see the line, right? Like all of these things cause financial problems. People were going bankrupt. So they're not out shopping. They're not out spending. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. Big institutions went broke because of the mortgage defaults. Nothing's happened here. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess the, the thing is that obviously the stock market having such a huge hit. But um, that's just quickly. driven by people selling. 
That's it. Yeah. It's, it's really not impacting people, I guess. Well, th- that is having and a roll-on effect. But there isn't a, the consumer is selling their shares mm. out of nothing. Out of fear. fear. Yeah. There's no tangible, like, I understand why people... There's a lot of going on with the media, isn't there? There always is, obviously, Huge. when these things happen. And that line, I think, like, we're getting very political now, but that line, I think, is very difficult as to where does the line fall between informing the public, which is their job, mm. and, like you just said, fear-mongering, mm. and, you know, I mean, w- w- what is your take on it? I mean, you'd be reading the media every day like all of us are. Mm. Do you think that that line has been somewhat crossed? Oh, I don't know. And the thing is, in Australia, obviously, we only sort of get the media that they want to show us. Yes. It's very different when you get out of Australia and see what's really... I had a friend that just came back from Japan and the news over there was completely different to what we're getting in Australia. It's just a little broken down version of Australia and, and far more of the fear given to Australia. So I don't know why... That is. Yeah. But. Um, well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I guess obviously the, the Chinese component and they're so close. The APAC region has been so heavily impacted versus in 08 when it, the, the mortgage crisis was, mm. I mean, so far away across, you know, the transatlantic announced that was in the US market, whereas this is next door virtually. But I just don't know, you know, ha- has there been discussions in your business about the potential for, you know, economic downturn? Um. Not, I haven't discussed it with our team because it feels like uh, this is the early stages, I guess, yeah. with um, obviously the rate, the interest rate cut the other day, yeah. last week, whatever it was. Mm. Um, so those Another sort of record things, low. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess from a consumer point of view for us, that is a good thing to be able to help the economy. Yep. Um, but I think that for us, I mean, I um, – obviously had the business, I was starting the business in 07. So for us, I feel like people will still spend money on the things that they want to spend money on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But it is still a a bit scary, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that what's funny and what's probably good about this is that I think when it is based in nothing to an Mm. extent, um, you know, there's no, there's a, sorry, there's a a domino effect. I understand that, um, that the share market, et cetera, but the actual, act of selling your shares and, and hiding it under the mattress and whatever else people are doing isn't based on anything other than fear yeah, um, or a lack of education, maybe you'd call it. But I think that to me is interesting because we're going to recover out of whatever this financial crisis is faster mm. because there isn't anything tangible. I think, yeah, exactly. I think if China was still in shutdown yeah. and we weren't, and manufacturing hadn't re-begun, yeah. that's a totally different story because then obviously you've got companies that are actually closing down because they can't. Sustain, sustain their business yes. rather than people just selling stocks out of fear. But 100%. because it has sort of recovered in China, yeah. uh, that makes me think, okay, well, we came out of the Chinese New Year Festival. They were closed anyway for three weeks. Yeah, uh, It was an extra sort of two or three weeks on top of that and then things are back up and running. So, yeah, yeah I, as you said, I think there will be that domino effect, but how long it will last for, for sure. hopefully is And that was kind of – I was trying to explain to someone the other day because we do obviously a lot of work over in China as well, uh, you know, manufacturing and all the rest of it for some other partners and brands. Mm. But for us, had the had this have occurred in the middle of the year mm. – it would have had a much larger impact. Agree. The fact that everyone was already get up for a close down. Yeah. We already were right. planning you for fled, a period yeah. of time of no manufacturing. Yeah, right. we knew. Yeah. So everyone got stock first and you, you know, you were loaded up. So when it Agreed. was like, oh, we're extending for two more weeks, it was like, well, that sucks. It's but we were already geared up for. Yeah. Whereas it was just overnight in the middle of the year when no one was prepared for it. No one was prepared for a Imagine shutdown. Imagine it was before like Black Friday. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, and that's what I was going to say. At least like Christmas. the time that it did happen is a sort of a retail slump it anyway. Is, 100%. So in all things, it was quite fortunate of when. Yeah. To pick a time, you pick then. Yeah, and I just wish that narrative was kind of being told a bit more. Mm. 
because yeah. there are some benefits, I think, to the way this has gone down. Mm. And I think that if you, you know, if we fast forward 10, 15 years, I do personally think that for a long time, especially to, you know, a high level corporate situation and government, there's been a discussion of a, of a recession, mm-hmm. yeah. regardless of oh, all of this. Yeah. And the media has been predicting it for years too. For yeah. sure. And I think that it's been discussed, it's been assessed. I think people knew it was coming. I think there's some value to it being brought on now yeah. by something like this because I think that, like I said before, the news articles that really come out of this at the end of the day are going to be very much like the virus is done. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really, I mean, we're in a country with some of the smartest minds in the world. Up at UQ right now, we're damn close to a, a, a cure is my understanding yeah, or yeah. Um, not a cure. What a do you call it? A vaccine. vaccine yeah. That's the word. Um, we're very close. Mm. Once once that happens, what are we? Two months yeah. from it being like, roll that out national, internationally. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it, it's such a, it's almost a positive so that it is. Gosh. Well, the government's pumped a lot of money into it. So what I think will be very interesting, and I know nothing about this space, it'll be very interesting to see if the government's funds have been used somewhere like UQ. It's not a private institution in a lot of ways. That's government money. So if Australia comes up with a cure, does the government make the money? I don't know where that happens. ScoMo about to be a billionaire? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because it, it, it will be billions overnight, right? Like there'll be no government yeah. not writing a check for that. Yeah, absolutely. Or then is it just a humanitarian effort where you go, well, you spent government money and you invented it. So you, do you know what I mean? Oh God, yeah. Do you then put a price on it and be like, well, too bad. We've got to make, that's just, I think that's very interesting. For yeah. Me. All right. Just getting back to the topic at hand. <laughs> I think it's important to cover the Corona thing. Cause I think yeah, this is a business based podcast. Next, and yeah, every fix. single person is now talking about the damage for the first time ever. I don't know if I said this on this podcast. I was talking about this morning to somebody um, for the first time ever that law oh, I did, the yeah. law was triggered. Um, so I think that there's a lot of business people going, what does this mean for me? Did you say um, on the podcast or did you say it to Emily and I before? Yeah, we we're talking before. It was before. So for the first time ever, um, the law that was created during the global financial crisis in America, which basically said that if a massive um, sell of stock happens at a you know a huge drop over there in their share market, that a law would kick in and stop the share market, put it on hold for a period of time, I think it's 15-ish minutes, um, in order to stop people, um, you know, just out of immediate fear and rush, panic Mm -hmm. selling, um, so that there'll be 15 minutes where everyone can stop and brokers can presumably reach their clients and everyone can go, it's not as bad as you think it is, Um, and then the stock market resumes. It's the first time that law's ever been triggered since the GFC, um, and that happened this morning in the US or, or yesterday in the US. Um, so I think it's interesting for business owners because I think, and I've already received the calls, we're getting it from our clients. Everyone wants to know sort of what to do. So I think it's important we discuss it anyway, especially with someone else who runs a you know sizable business. All right, just a few last questions before we finish. So if somebody right now is wanting to start a business or if they're wanting to like offer a premium offering in their business, what are the little things that you sort of weighed up? So every little extra thing that you do, so say mm-hmm. you're offering them like, a nicer tea rather yep. than the normal twinings or if you're offering like Tim Tams with things, whatever it is, all those little things to offer the premium experience, whatever you do, add more money mm-hmm. that you yes, have to pay. Of yep. So how do you weigh up like we have a premium experience and I have to add all these little things? Like how do you know when to stop, when it's too much, like how it's going to affect your bottom line? Like what's important mm-hmm. to get the experience while also not costing you too much money? Yeah, yeah. I guess um, it really is knowing sort of what your – where your margins sit and knowing your numbers so that you can say, okay, that's going to fit in fine. And just having that sort of common sense of that actually is going to make a difference or that's not going to make a difference at all to uh, a client returning to the salon. Um, Yeah, I think um, 
that's it's a hard one. It kind of just is a bit more natural to say, okay, um, this is the level that we need to have. That's above and beyond and probably isn't necessary. Okay. And we have two questions that we ask every guest that come in. So what is one thing that the average business owner listening to this might not be thinking about today um, that they should be? Uh, I guess, mm, I don't know. Um, Our last guest talked about, because it was just such a super random one, um, what was it again? With Ash, she talked about like wills and insurance and she stuff. She talked about right? insurance. Oh, yes. A lot yep. of businesses just run a thousand miles an hour and then mm. don't look back and go like, oh my God, we're not insured or anything. Yeah. Is there anything small in the business that's just, you know, everyone's thinking about marketing or social media now. It's like all you hear I think, about. I think coming back to that, knowing your numbers, because I think there's so many things that pop up for a business that we don't account for at the start. Yeah. And so many businesses are running on a very tight margin, Yeah. Uh, myself included in that kind of industry. It is a very tight margin. Once you put everything including insurances, that's huge. Like I think we spend about 50 grand a year on insurance. And at the start, you don't really think about all the things that then pop up and you've really got to make sure that you're keeping a constant watch on those numbers. And at the start I did it. I was 20 years old, had no idea what I was doing. I was working it out as I went. And it was only from getting a good accountant that I was actually sort of, I guess my eyes were opened up to having a cash flow forecast and really knowing what my yeah. numbers were and keeping a close eye on that. Otherwise, if you just keep spending, you can end up in so much trouble, obviously. Yeah. Um, it was actually, I was talking to Deck the other day, um, who's one of my partners in James Cosmetics. Um, and for the first time ever on, so we have PayPal as one of our payment options, mm-hmm. you know, because we sell online. Um, and for the first time ever, I used to log in and get a little thing that says, you know, PayPal offers business loans, help us help yep. you grow and whatever else. Yep. For the first mm-hmm. time ever, that's now changed to you're pre-approved for X dollars. Mm. And I thought, you know, it's this, you keep reading these articles about businesses that are failing and they go under and they owe 7 million and they owe this and that. And some of these businesses aren't that big. Yep. And you think like, we live in a world where credit is pushed upon you yes, aggressively. Yep. And yet you've got to stop at some stage and ask yourself, I mean, obviously in a business like yours, upfront capital is something you have no choice but to put in because yep. you've got to build the space, etc. Mm. But there are so many businesses where you think like, don't just go out there and spend up a storm and be like, oh, we've got the loan, we'll pay it back and whatever. Yeah. If you can cut a cost you know, anywhere, yep. cut it. Because like you said, there's so many expenses, no matter what industry you're in, that you just never, which is why I think it's funny, like when staff are like, you know, they look oh. at the numbers and they think, oh, I could start this. Yeah. The money she yeah, must like, be making. Oh my God, you just sold a hundred eye masks. That's yeah. X amount of dollars. And it's like, okay, but what about like the rent, the yeah. wages, Absolutely. like the marketing, the website, the PayPal, the delivery yeah. costs, like that's right. the staff, not to mention the biggest Just stuff. the bloody transaction fees on yeah. the back of yeah, just, this, you know what I mean? That's what I was going to say. Things like that, that you don't sort of necessarily equate for at the start. And you think, oh, okay, you know, I am, and afterpay, I lose 6%, you know, you're losing 6% every time you do an afterpay sale. Yeah, and it's at the big. start, you just go, Oh, we'll after, offer afterpay. But yep. what does that mean for the bottom line? Like you just have to be so onto it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, you can get yourself in trouble. And I, I think that's a huge thing for us because staff do see the docket, the ticket, not yep. realizing that, you know, for every sort of $100, I'm actually only making $7. And then I've got exactly to pay my corporate right. tax over that, like out of that. Yeah. So it really that's is it, a right different it's... story once you put all the costs into place. For sure. And the final question, what would you put your success down to if you had to choose one factor? Um, I would probably say right from the start, it's about sort of caring or giving a crap about everything that you're doing, uh, yep. whether that's the client, then that sort of became for me the staff, making sure that I actually had really good relationships with the staff and I cared about what their 
um, employment experience was with us. Um, and at every stage, it's been sort of the fact that I actually care and keep um, involved as much as possible um, to make sure that everything is running really well. Okay. And personal question, how hard is it to get red hair matched for... Easy. If you go to an expert. <laughs> <laughs> if you so, go to Emily Hadd, will have extensions. Simple. So tell us where everyone can like stalk you and find you and come to you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so if you're um, talking uh, social media, our Instagram is Emily with two L's. Thanks, Mum and Dad, for making my life very <laughs> annoying. And I probably shouldn't name my business with my name in it. But Emily with two L's, Hadril with two L's, H-A-D-R. I double L hair extensions. Same for Facebook, um, and our website is eh hair extensions. And that's the Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Gold Coast right. all at those locations. Yeah. Excellent. Do you have any other questions, Sam? I think that's it. I mean, like, why would you go anywhere else? Is the only question I would have. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> don't I be silly. I just want some like thickening up, you know. Like I've, I've just chopped it short, so you I don't want great, like beautiful thick some, hair. Like, thickening, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> already very thick. Sam, you could do some. With some oh, sessions. could you imagine? <laughs> just that long flowing hair. <laughs> Such a good look. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for swimming by. Thanks, we appreciate guys. it, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. To stay up to date with The Spin Life, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at Spin & Co. Thanks for tuning in today and we'll be back next week.